Amen. So Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be down there at verse 12. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. We've gotten down to the church of Pergamos. So what we're, what we're realizing is Jesus Christ is telling John, I want you to, I'm going to tell you what to say and I'm going to write it. And I want you to write this to the seven churches. And what, we, what you realize when you study this out is these churches, they go hand in hand with church history. And as you go through these seven churches, each church is related to a certain time in church history. So uh, we're going to hear at the church at Pergamos. Look at verse 12, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now we know that sharp sword with two edges is the word of God, is the Bible, what you have in your lap. I know thy works. There, in verse 13, I know thy works. And he says that over every one of these churches, he says, he starts out with, I know thy works. In other words, he knows what you're doing. And that should be an opener for us in here. When he looks at Indian Gap Baptist Church, the first thing Jesus wants you to know in this church is he knows what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. I know your works. That was the Lord's watching us. We all pray, amen, Lord... Uh, guide me, watch over me, build a hedge of protection around me. We all like that, right? Amen. We want the Lord Jesus Christ to watch over us. But that means all the time. Not just the times we're doing things that are good. <laughs> He's watching over us when we're think, doing things we shouldn't do, when we're saying things we shouldn't think, when we're thinking things we shouldn't think. So the Lord's reminding us, hey, I know your works, but He says, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and has not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. Antipas was martyred for Jesus Christ. That's the only mention in the Bible, Antipas. What's interesting about Antipas there in verse 13, Antipas is a name that means against everything. He's against everything. That kind of sounds like some of us in here, huh? Are you one of those that is against everything? You're against the government, you're against taxes, you're against new law, you're against everything. That's this guy. But he was faithfully, he was martyred because he was faithful to the Lord who was slain among you, end of verse 13, where Satan dwelleth. So you have Satan's seat and a place where Satan dwells. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, and brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, Satan is real. And we forget just as real as Jesus Christ is, as Jesus Christ could walk in those doors right now physically because he's a resurrected Savior, Satan can walk through those doors right now. If he chose. And he has a place that he sits and he has a place that he dwells. But let's look at this Pergamos. So I threw this picture of Pergamos up here. This is a modern day picture of what's left of the ruins of, of Pergamos. And where the church was at. You can see some of the ruins. You know it's definitely at the time of the Roman Empire. You can see how it's all built up. And this church period represents 325 A.D. to 500 A.D. 325 to 500 A.D. church history. And why that is, and you can see as these churches are progressing, that as church, as church history progresses, there's a big change in church history between 325 and 500 A.D. And Pergamos, Pergamos translates out as much marriage. Much marriage. And what you're going to have happen, what you're going to have happen in this church history, in church history at this time, is you're going to have a marriage of church and state. You're going to have a marriage where the state, the government, the rulers decide we want the church to be part of us and we want to run the church and we want the church to run us. Now, if you know anything about American history, that's exactly what we don't want. 
We wanted separation of church and state. We wanted it to where we didn't want people separate. We didn't want the church running us, and we didn't want the state telling the church what to do. Perfect example of that has been happening through COVID. When COVID took place and they started shutting down the churches, that was blasphemous. That was ridiculous. And when you live in a country, in America, where they're arresting pastors for opening up churches, down in Florida, they were arresting a pastor for opening up church and having church. This is America. I don't care what you think about COVID or what disease or whatever. This is God-blessed America, amen? And we should have the right to assemble if we want to assemble, and the government doesn't have a right to say one thing or another. And they can take that, and they can roll it up and smoke it, whatever they want to do with it. It's the truth. I love Governor Abbott. I think Governor Abbott is a good governor. But when Governor Abbott came, in and came out and said back in COVID about a year and a half ago or two years ago, whenever, and he said, you know, I've thought about it, and the churches, I'm going to let the churches stay open because that's a, that's a necessity. That's a spiritual necessity. And Governor Abbott, Abbott said the churches should be able to stay open. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate that, Governor Abbott, but you don't have that right. <laughs> it don't matter if you say it should be open or not. I don't care. I'm going to open up. My, my church down in, uh, well, I say my church where I went down to school, where I, my pastor was, I call my pastor down in Pensacola, Florida, they kept their church, uh, church open the whole time. They never shut down. They never shut down. They never got arrested. But there's some other pastors in Florida that got arrested because they, were, they wanted them to shut down. Brothers and sisters, we have a right because the, the state does not control the church. But in this time in church history, you had this union, this much marriage, where the church and the church and the state, the government was starting to marry together. And it happened through Constantine, the Roman emperor. Now, go, if, you don't, if you don't understand a lot of this, hadn't read this up, go and you can Google this stuff up. It's readily available through Google or whatever. You can find out about Constantine. Now, Constantine, at the bottom of this statue, this is a picture of Constantine, the Roman emperor. It says, by this sign, conquer. And what that means is, when Constantine was in a battle, he had a vision. And here it is written out. He had a vision. He saw a cross of light up in the sky, and he saw these Greek words over here. See this word right here, Nika? In this sign, conquer. That word Nika means to conquer. And he seen that in Greek, and he saw the sign. And what, did he, see, what he seen was, he seen the chi in the row. The, I mean, the key in the row, pardon me. He seen the key in the row. And what that was, that was this symbol right here. He supposedly, this is all tradition. I'm not saying this really happened. This is what they teach. That he's seen this sign up in the sky, and he said, okay, everybody, everybody put that sign on your shields. We're going to conquer for Jesus Christ. And then he won that battle. And, we ran, and when he won that battle, he decided to marry the church and the state together. He said, now I'm a Christian, and I'm going to make everybody else a Christian, and the government's going to control the church, and we're going to get all this. And it was marrying the church. And this symbol... This key in this row, and that key, what it is, that X right there, that's the first letter, letter, that's C for Christ. This is Christos right here in Greek. So what that X is, that's, that's the X, and that's the P. It represents the R. That's Christ. That's what that symbol is supposed to represent. The Catholic Church still uses that symbol today. There's Pope Ratzinger. He's still got that on his cross. Then you see this, uh, I don't know if that's a cardinal or bishop, whatever. He's got that symbol right there. You see that's a very Catholic symbol. That, comes, that Catholic symbol comes through the history of the church through Constantine. That's where that symbol comes from. So, 325 A.D., there was a council on Nicaea, and they got the church together. 
the, the leaders of some of the church at that time, they got Constantine together, and they married the church and state. If you want a good history lesson, go and just study the Church of England, the Church of the Catholic Church, and what happened. That's where you get Bloody Mary, Henry the, the, the story of King Henry. He's fighting against the Catholic Church, Catholic Church. Some of them are Catholics, some of them are Protestants. Neither one of us in here, we're not Catholics, or Protestants. Let me say that again. If you're in here and you're a Bible believer, you're not a Catholic or a Protestant. You never protested the Catholic Church. You were always outside of the Catholic Church. Lutherans, Presbyterians, Ecclesi uh, Episcopalians, they're all Protestants. They were all part of the Catholic Church. They wanted to get away from the Pope that was controlling them, and they protested that through Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a great man of God. But they protested that, and they tried to get away. They started reading their Bibles what happened. And they got away from the Pope, got away from the church. Those are called Protestants. You're not a Protestant. You've always been apart, I mean separated apart from the Catholic Church. Praise God. You've always been Bible believers. Your lineage follows that Bible-believing lineage. So they had a marriage of church and state at that time. And they got together and they said, hey, the church should start controlling the state. The state should start controlling the church. And then why, why would they do that? They did that because when the church controls the state and the state controls the church, they control all the people. They want to control everybody. That's what all these mandates and everything's all about. It's all about controlling you guys. Now, do what you want to do. That's between you and the Lord God. But I don't like being controlled. I like my liberty in Jesus Christ, and I like my liberty in America. As much as America has fallen off, as much, of America, as much of America has backslidden away from God, we still have liberty in America, and praise God for that. And we have liberty because the, the founders of this nation were Bible believers, believed in this book, and believed that every man was, had a right, an alienable right by God to live how he wants to live and to worship God how he wants to worship him. And that, if that means you're an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian, you have that right. And I thank God for that right. That gives us a right to go into courthouse square and to hold up Christian signs and hold up scripture. And we have that right by our founding fathers to do that. They didn't have that right. They were taking it away because they're going to start controlling the people. It's the, founding, it's the founding and the rise of the Roman Catholicism, the Roman Catholic Church, as you know it today. I'm going to give you a little spoiler warning. We're going to kick the Catholic Church a lot this morning. And when I say the Catholic Church, I mean the system, not the people. I love the Roman Catholic people. I love the people. I, love, I have Catholic friends, and I try to witness to them. And some of them, I believe, are saved. But there's, there's, it's a system that's of the devil, and I'm going to show you that as we go through. And J Jesus Christ is going to point this out. So the marriage of church and state, a lot of people think this is Jesus to them. They think Jesus is sitting there with his 30-30 revolver, lever action, 30-30, and he's got the American flag draped around him. That's not Jesus. I hate to tell you this, but Jesus Christ is for the whole world. He's for the Chinaman. He's for the Muslim. He's for the Arabian. He's for the Iranian. He's for, he's for the Mexican. He's for the Canadian. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the whole world, not just America. And we get caught up in all this, and we start thinking Jesus looks like this. He's got his machine gun. He's got the, he's got the, he's got the eagle on his arm, and he's sitting up there like he's going to come, and he's, he's got the American flag behind him. That's not Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I hear this phrase a lot. God bless America. God bless America. And what always comes to my mind is, for what? 
What should God be blessing America for? Now, I love this country. And we have a flag in this church. And I, I proudly, I'm proud to have that flag in this church. And we got a Christian flag over there. And I, that church, as long as I'm here, that flag's going to stay in here, amen? I love my country. But why should God bless America? If he does, he's going to have to apologize to a lot of other countries. We need to get back to God. And it don't start up at Washington. It starts down here. It starts down here in our families. What's going on in Washington, D.C., is just a mirror of what's going on in the rest of the country. That's all it is. It's just a reflection of what we have. When Obama got voted in the second time, I knew our country was shot. I'm like, okay, they voted. You made the mistake the first time. But you voted for him again? Saying, you're talking politics. Yes, I am. Yes, I am talking politics. I had one time I had a lady in the back. She's like, I didn't come here to hear politics. I'm like, I'm sorry. That's just the way it rolls around here sometimes. The rapture, that's the separation of church and state. Amen? When we get raptured out of here, we're definitely going to be separated. They can have all my land, my property, my taxes. They can keep all of that. Praise the Lord. And right now I'm telling you they can have my hospital bills too. All that stuff. Dealing with that right now. So the marriage of heathen and Christian practices, that's what we have going on in the church. That's why we're like we are today. Now, when I'm going to show you this stuff. That doesn't mean I'm against this stuff and I'll explain it. But this is why we do it. So you think about the marriage of what happened was what Constantine did is he, he had all these pagans that weren't Christians. Well, he wanted to make one world religion. And he said, okay, well, I have these pagans and then I have these Christians. And what I want to do is I want them to marry. I want them to get together. I want the unclean to be, the clean to be with the unclean. And I want to make them all one. So what he did is he started merging things together. So the pagans, they celebrated the sun god, S-U-N. They celebrated his birthday on December 25th. So what the Catholic Church did, Constantine and them, is they, the pagan sun god's birthday was on December 25th. So now they had Christ's birthday calling it Christmas. That's where we get Christmas. If you study your Bible, it's real obvious that Christ wasn't born on December 25th. Christ was born, according to the Word of God, right about the end of September, 1st of October. Now, he was conceived. Now, listen to me. He was conceived around December 25th. He was conceived around that time. So I have no problem with Christmas. I celebrate Christmas. I choose to celebrate Christ's birthday at that time. But the reason why we do that when it doesn't line up with the Bible is simply because that's what they did back then. They merged pagan and Christianity together. Same way with Easter. Ishtar is a fertility goddess. That's why you have rabbits and eggs. Rabbits, rabbits don't lay eggs, amen. It takes your kids, your kids get to be about 10, 11, 12 years old, and they start asking you these kind of questions. Why do we have eggs? Rabbits don't have it. You know, this. it's because it's all about fertility. It all goes back to Ishtar, the fertility goddess. So they merged the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the fertility goddess Ishtar, and that's where you get the name Easter. That they're, they're taking these holidays that the Christian church celebrated, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the birth of Christ, and they're trying to merge them and make all of us worship together, one world religion. It's been going on since 325 A.D., and that's why we call it Easter. I still, I still use the word Easter sometimes, but you hear me sometimes in the church say, Resurrection Sunday's coming up. That's why I say it. Resurrection Sunday's coming up. Because it's not about Easter to us, right? It's about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And then he says there in verse 13, he says, I know the Satan's seat, and he says, I know where he dwelleth. We just read that. So what we need to remember is Satan is a real entity. He's a real being. He can walk through those back doors right now. And Satan has a seat, and he has a, has a place he dwells. And what you'll find out about Satan in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, is that he controls these world kingdoms. Satan is running these world kingdoms. Satan is running Washington, D.C. Satan is running China, Russia. Satan's behind all of that. Now, I'm not telling you that our world political leaders have to make a pact with the devil. I'm not telling you that. But I'm here to tell you is they're not in there unless Satan wants them in there. If Satan doesn't want them in there, they're not in there. Unless God's hand's in it and God lets them get in there. Now, God... Satan can only do what God allows him to do. But God's allowed him to run this world system. Why, did, why is God allowing Satan to do that? Because Adam gave it to him. What Adam did when he fell was he took the crown that God had given him as the dominion over all this world and Adam took that crown and laid it at the feet of Satan. Satan's took off with it. And has been controlling this world ever since. The Bible goes so far as to say that Satan is the God, lowercase g, the God of this world. He runs this world. He controls this world. And he has a seat and he has a place. And it's a political seat. It's a political place. And it's a political seat. And that's according to Daniel chapter 8, verse 25. He rises up and he makes policies. That's what Satan does. Look at verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So what that story is, is Balaam was called by Balak. Balak was a, 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 a hater of Israel. He wanted Israel to be cursed. So he, he knew that Balaam was a prophet of God. And he, Balak went to Balaam and said, Hey, Balaam, I'm going to give you all the money you want. All I ask you to do is come up, get on this mountain, and I want you to curse Israel. Because I know that you're a prophet of God and I want you to curse Israel. And God told Balaam, you can't curse them. God told Balaam, you can't curse them because I blessed them. <laughs> so Balak talked Balaam into going anyway. Balaam went anyway. Balaam got up on the mountain like you see in this picture. And Balaam opened his mouth to curse, curse Israel. And Balaam blessed Israel. And Balak got mad. And Balaam turned around and said, I can only do what the Lord tells me to do. And whatever God's blessed... It's blessed. You can't curse it. And whatever God's cursed, you can't bless. God's cursed it. It goes both ways, brothers and sisters. And he's saying here in verse 14 is, Balaam put a stumbling block, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block for the children of Israel. What, he, what Balaam ended up doing is this. Balaam said, Balak, you're not going to be able to curse Israel. But what you can do is you can talk Israel into doing something that God don't want them doing. So what Balaam did is Balaam told Balak, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. So Balaam said, hey, they're not supposed to be marrying outside of their religion, outside of Israel, outside of the Jew. They're not supposed to be marrying pagans. So what you need to do is you need to come in there with all your women, your pagan women, and let them marry them Jews, and that'll mess them up. So that's exactly what he taught them. That's why it says to cast a stumbling block for children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, those are pagans, and to commit fornication. And that way, that fornication is them marrying outside of the Jews. So what, what Balaam was teaching them was to marry when they shouldn't be married. This all goes back to what I'm trying to teach you this morning. The church and the state should never be married. 
We're, we are followers of Jesus Christ. They are followers of the devil. It doesn't work. I've had Christians actually tell me about like pornography. I've actually heard Christians tell me about pornography. They're saying, well, it's not illegal. In other words, there's not a law against it. Hey, big dummy, <laughs> you're not under the law of the U.S. government. You're under the law of Jesus Christ. That's a whole lot higher standard, right? Brothers, if you don't understand that, you better get down on your knees and repent. You are answering to Jesus Christ. I know thy works. You're not answering to Biden or the U.S. government or to Abbott or to me or to this church. You're answering to Jesus Christ. And whatever laws he gives you, those are the laws you have to follow. It doesn't matter if the government says, hey, it's okay to do that. It's okay to have an abortion. It's okay for pornography. It's okay. It doesn't matter what the government passes. It doesn't matter. You better follow what the Lord tells you out of this book. So we should never be married, and that's what happened in this marriage. But another thing that happened with Balaam, and here's Balaam, and this is the great story of Balaam when he's riding his donkey. He almost got his head cut off by the angel because he wasn't supposed to go, and God had an angel there, and he's going to cut Balaam's head off. And the, and the donkey laid down on his side, and he started beating his donkey, and his donkey said to him, Hey, why are you, why are you beating me? I've always been good to you. There's an angel there. So what the, what the Bible calls that is the way of Balaam in 2 Peter, and he calls it the error of Balaam in Jude verse 11. And what that error and what that way is of Balaam is simply this. When you study the story of Balaam, it's simply this. Balaam was greedy for money. Balaam was greedy to make money from God's work. And brothers and sisters, <laughs> this is an easy one to kick down the road right here. Here's a, little, here's a little slide for you. Greedy to make money from God's work. Joel Osteen's worth $40 million. Creflo Dollar, $27 million. Benny Hinn, $42 million. Kenneth claims he's worth over a billion. Joyce Myers, $25 million. T.D. Jakes, $150 million. They, they had good investments. No, they didn't have good investments. That's all suckers given to these people. Money, they're, they're, they're giving money to these people. These people are greedy for your money. They're following the way of Balaam. It's not about the Lord. It's about making money off the Lord's people. And the Bible warns us that they want to make merchandise of you. They want to make merchandise of you. Here's Benny Hinn. He's worth millions of dollars. Benny Hinn asked followers for $2.5 million to get out of debt. <laughs> hey, I'm worth $25 million, but y'all send me in two point five, and God will bless you. That's what they always say. Here's a screen capture. Here's a screen capture of a TV screen. Sow your seed. He's, he's doing a telethon. Sow your seed of $1,000 with expectation of a harvest. You send us 1000 and God will give you or bless you. Here's an idea. You keep your 1000 God's really going to bless you because then you can pay your bills. I was at a, I was at a funeral for, uh, it was a Terrellite funeral. Anybody, anybody know about David Terrell in here? Some of y'all are shaking your heads. The Terrellites. Anybody heard of the Terrellites? David Terrell. He's notorious about begging them for money. He, he, he would walk, David Terrell would walk down the aisle and he'd see somebody, he'd stop there and go, God just told me to tell you to give the church $500. I have friends that have been in that church, heard him say that. So I was at this Terrellite serve, uh, funeral, Terrellite preacher preaching, and he said, this brother... This brother, he went down and he rented him a chair. He rented him a chair. And he got that chair home. And he didn't pay that chair. And they came and took that chair away from him. The devil took that chair away from him. 
And I'm sitting in the back, it's like the devil didn't take that chair away from him. He didn't pay his bills. He got that chair took it away from him because he wouldn't pay his bills. If he wouldn't have been giving you $500, he probably could pay his chair off. I don't know if that went over like a lead of bricks or what. But the truth is, is, it's not about money, brothers and sisters. It's about what are you doing for Jesus Christ. That's why we don't pass an offering plate in this church. I don't want you thinking it's anything about money. It's about Jesus Christ. And we're not going to act like Balaam. And we're not going to put up with this nonsense right here. I think a person should give to the Lord. Not only money, but time. And I think a person should be working for the Lord. But when they, that's when they, they're focusing on all that. You better watch them. It's a carnival act. Here's Creflo Dollar. Jesus, this is Creflo Dollar. Jesus bled and died for us so that we can, play, we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. Jesus died and bled for you so you could be rich. That's just what he said right there. That's his preaching. I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ died and bled for you so you'd get saved. Amen. All right, so look at the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Verse 15, so, that, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, if you've been following along, it called it the deeds. Jesus Christ said it's the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Remember I pointed out Nico means conquer. So there's that word Nico again, Nico and Laetan. Laetan like the laity, conquering the people. That's that system of putting a hierarchy above God's people. You got the bishops and you got the priests. And you got the high bishops and the arch All that hierarchy that you see in the Catholic system, that's the thing that Jesus Christ says he hates it. Now it's turned from deeds to doctrines. And the reason why it's turned into doctrines is because the church has taken over the, the state and they're all starting to run together. Now this is Babylon, Mr. Religion. And what you can do is you can get these books. You, you can find this stuff on the Internet. If you ever want to borrow this, I got these books at home. And you can read it and it shows you what's been going on for centuries. Y'all remember the story of Dagon? So Dagon was a god that the Philistines had. So the Philistines conquered Israel. They beat the Jews, and they took the Ark of the Covenant. And they took the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it back home to them, and they set it up in their temple before Dagon. So Dagon's standing there. They had a statue of this fish god, and they put the Ark of the Covenant in front of that fish god to basically have God, Almighty of the Jews, bow down before Dagon. So they went to bed, they woke up the next day, they walked in there, and that fish god statue was fell over. Hmm. What's going on here? So they set that big Dagon statue up again, and they had it all ready, and they said, okay, let's do this again. They went to bed, they woke up. So the next morning they woke up, and the fish god, that statue, his head was cut off and his hands were cut off. And he's laying in the temple. And then the next thing that happened to them, they all got hemorrhoids. This is Bible. And then the mice came through, and the mice started running through all the country. And then, you know what the priest of the Dagon said? The priest of Dagon, they came to the Philistines and said, you know what, guys? We don't need to be miss messing with the God of Israel. We need to send this thing back. So they loaded up the Ark of the Covenant, and they sent it back to the Jews, like, y'all can have this thing. It's a curse. But that fish god... The way they worshipped him is they had these hats that looked like this. See this? Here's a carving, a Mesopotamian sculpture of what the fish god priest looked like and how he worshipped his fish god. See the fish? And you see the fish head there? Look at this. 
Here's the fish head. Here's the Dagon fish head. Look at that right there. You ever wondered why that, the Pope wears that hat that looks so stupid? It's the same, brother, sister, it's the same religion. It's a Babylonian Dagon worship. It's the same thing. If you have eyes to see, let you see. Look at verse 16. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. That would be the word of God. He that hath the ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse 17. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying he that receiveth. So there he's talking about a white stone that's given to him. Now back in those days, when John was writing this, when they would have trials, and you were put on trial, when they would judge you, way they would, you would find out if you were guilty or innocent. If they thought you were innocent, they would cast in a white stone. If they thought you were guilty, they would throw in a black stone. So when if you, they brought that out and said, okay, am I guilty or am I innocent? Then you'd have a white stone or you'd have a black stone. Hey, sis. Right. She's more interesting than me most of the time. So that white stone represented that you're innocent. That white stone represented innocency. So he says, I, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. Now, well, I threw up a picture of a pearl, because Jesus Christ says we are, we are like a pearl of great price. But we're all innocent in here, and we're innocent because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we're innocent. And we're innocent only because of that and because we've received that precious blood of Jesus Christ as a free gift. And it says that I will give an eat of the hidden manna. That, hidden, that manna represents the word of God and it says it's hidden. At this, time, at this time is when the church started suppressing the words of God. They started controlling the words of God. They started taking the words of God, keeping them in Latin. Wouldn't let anybody translate them. And we're going to get into this as we go into church history. They, they, would, they would suppress it, not let anybody read it. And that way the church was in darkness. The people of God were in darkness. They were in darkness. You got the white stone. Let's go on to the next church. This church is Thyatira, and Thyatira is a church period between 500 A.D. and 1,000 A.D. This represents the 500 A.D. to 1,000 A.D. Thyatira translates odor of affliction. You're going to have more people killed at this time in church history than almost any time in world history. And we're about to find out why. Verse 18, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, there he is, Who's, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. This is the judging Jesus. That's him saying the eyes of fire, the flame of fire, with the eyes like unto a flame of fire. That's a judging Jesus. This is Jesus about to judge the church, about to judge this church period. And he does in a major way. He says there in verse 19, I know thy works. There you go. And charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. And the last be to be more than the first. What he's basically saying there, when you have charity, service, faith, and patience, your works can't help be, but to be better and to get better. Because you have all that. You've got service, faith, and patience. Your works are going to be better. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So you have a prophetess in there. Her prophetess name is Jezebel. Y'all know the story of Jezebel. 
Jezebel was Ahab's wife in the Bible. She was the most wicked woman in the whole Bible. She was wicked, wicked, wicked. And he's saying that there's Jezebel's in there and she's seducing you and she's committing fornication with you and she's making you sacrifice unto idols. What you'll find out about Jezebel was that uh, she comes from a tribe of Dan, in that area of Dan, where they called a priest a father and he, that priest father worshipped images and idols just like the Catholic Church today. That's Bible. They had a priest there, they started calling him father and he worshipped idols. That's found there in Judges chapter 18. Now the thing about, uh, about Jezebel was, and you read through the scriptures, Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord. She killed the prophets of the Lord. She had a table where her prophets would eat at. She, had a, she threatened to kill Elijah, and then she murdered Naboth. Jezebel is a great type of the Catholic Church. And what's going on with the Catholic Church, and you're seeing it kind of creep in from the very beginning of the Catholic Church, because it's starting to be related with Jezebel, and you're seeing it creep into the modern-day Christian church, even evangelical church, is you're seeing a, a spirit of feminism. You're seeing a spirit of feminism. She was a prophetess of Baal. And you remember the story of Elijah? He brought down a fire from heaven as he went against the prophetess of Baal and her prophets. So it's a spirit of feminism. It's a feminine spirit of Jezebel, and it's running through the churches. It's definitely running through the Catholic Church. Because in this, uh, it says that they, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Those are two gods. And what they were is they were a male god, Baal, and Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the female version. So they had a male and a female. Now, Ashtoreth is the same way you would say Easter in English. It's the same fertility goddess. And they were worshiping her. And Jezebel was part of that, worshiping her. And the way they would worship her is they worship her through this religion is simply by this. The wives started running the worship service. So when you got to Jeremiah chapter 44, the wives were running the worship service. And you know what they were doing? They were worshiping the queen of heaven. And they were baking cakes to the queen of heaven. And God was calling them out to that. And when he called them out, the women told the men, we're not going to change. We're going to keep worshiping the queen of heaven because that's what we want to do. Now, when have you ever heard of the name queen of heaven? Now, that's Bible. Jeremiah 40. Go look it up. She's called the Queen of Heaven. You know who else is called the Queen of Heaven? Mary, by the Catholic Church. You'll see this symbology all through the Catholic teaching, all through the Catholic Church, where they worship Jesus through Mary. Here's Jesus. Here's Mary. And you see who's holding the rod? You see who's, holding the, who's ruling it? It's the Queen of Heaven, Mary. That's nothing more than Baal worship. Ashtoreth, worshiping the fertility goddess. Because what you're doing is you're worshiping the child through the mother. That's exactly how every Catholic does it, even if they realize it. You go to Mary, you pray to Mary, you say you're, you're, you're Hail Marys. You're Hail Marys, you say you're Hail Marys. Because every good mother is going to tell the son, and every good son is going to listen to what his mother says. So you ask Mary to tell Jesus, and Jesus will do it, because every good son listens to the mother. That's what a Catholic will tell you. You don't believe me, ask him. So these are all just a history of feminine spirit running through the churches. Diana, that's back in Acts chapter 19. She was worshipped. So you had this worship of the feminine spirit. And that's what Jezebel was doing. And you see that even today, the, Wic the modern day Wiccans, the witchcrafts, they're called Wiccans, they worship Diana. She was worshipped way back in Acts chapter 19. She was worshipped way back before then. It's a modern day worship of the moon goddess. And you're seeing this feminine spirit. All this is uh, traced back through Baal worship in the Catholic Church. If you want to get a good book on it, The Two Babylons, I've got that book if you ever want to borrow it and read it. It's a pretty, pretty long book, but it's got some interesting stuff in there.
And what you'll find out in there is you'll see there's a history of the child being, wor being worshipped through the mother. And this has been going on for the Samaritans and Tamas. Of course, that's the Catholic Mary and Jesus. That's all they're doing. That's all the Catholic Church is doing is stealing from pagan practices. We don't worship Mary in here, amen? The world likes this Jesus. Why does the world like Jesus? Why is the world okay with Christmas when you have Jesus in a manger? Because you can control a little baby. They like the little baby Jesus because they can keep him in a manger where he's safe and he's not telling them what to do. They don't like the full-grown Jesus that we worship that says, I'm coming back to judge you. And I'm coming back as a king of kings and lord of lords. So you see this all through world history. And you see this over in India. They have their own worship where they worship the child through the mother. Same thing with the Roman Catholics. There it is again. Here it is all through world history. Worshiping all through different cultures. Worshiping the, worshiping the child through the mother. Worshiping the child through the mother. You see this all through world history. There's 12 of them right there. That last one right there is Catholic. So you see that all it is is just the devil doing what he's always done. You say, well, this is what brings up the point of people saying Christianity is nothing more than paganism. Paganism was always here, and then Christianity came along. That's what, the, that's what you'll have atheists tell you. If I had atheists tell me that. But the truth is, the devil's known all about this from the very beginning. Remember what, Jesus, what God told the devil after Eve fell? He said, there's going to be a woman. She's going to have a seed, and it's going to crush your head. He's known that there's going to be a woman that's going to have a seed. That's going to crush him. He's known about that. All through church history, all through world history. So here's, this will make your morning. I got, I got Hillary thrown up on the screen. That might, that might ruin your lunch, but just hang in there. So there's a feminine spirit of Jezebel alive today. You can find, you see that in Hillary Clinton. This is her quote. Despite all the challenges we face, I remain convinced that yes, the future is female. That's what she preached. She still preaches that today. The future is female. That's why she almost died when she didn't win the presidency. Because she was convinced she was going to win. And God pulled a joke on her and Trump won. Do you remember that? Trump wasn't supposed to win. He was, they had predicted Trump to lose. That was a shocker to all of them. You want to have a good laugh? Go home and just Google up YouTube and Google up all the Democrats whenever Hillary started losing that night. It's like they're all like, yeah, yeah. And then at the end, they're like throwing stuff down and... It's, it's classic. The future is male. The future is male. His name is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. I hate to tell you this, but if you don't know this, that there's going to be a man coming back. He's a man's man. He goes by Jesus Christ. He'll come back and rule you and reign over you. And you either can come back with him, riding with him, or you can stand in front of him and he's going to stomp on you. That's the Jesus Christ that Joel Osteen don't preach because you don't get millions of dollars preaching that Jesus Christ. You don't. The world don't like that Jesus Christ. They want the little baby. They don't like the Jesus Christ that's judging them and the, the horse, the blood is running to, for a hunt, 200 miles to the horse's bridle. They don't like that Jesus Christ. They don't like him being a king of kings and lord of lords come back with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. They don't like this Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this morning, that's my Jesus. 
Y'all can have the little fairy Jesus walking around with flowers in his hair. and That's my Jesus right there. King of kings, Lord of lords. When I put my trust in Jesus Christ, I put my trust in Jesus Christ because he was a man. He suffered for me. He died for me. And then he says, I love you. If you'll come to me, I'll take you. And I'll cleanse you and wash you. See, we've got kings in this world. And I'm talking about Biden. I'm talking about Putin. I'm talking about Trump. I'm talking about anybody you can think of. These kings in this world, they expect you to die for them. Your son goes off. Your son's 18. Okay, go off and fight that battle for me. Your daughter's 19, 20. You go off and fight that battle and you die over in a foreign country. But my king, my king Jesus, he's different than those kings. He died for me. That's the difference. You got a king that'll die for you. That's the king you want to have, King Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Father, for King Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's somebody needs to sound my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, that when we give this invitation, will come on down, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that you make salvation simple, Lord, that's just putting our faith in you. And Lord, I thank you that Lord Jesus is a king. He's a man's man, Lord. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that uh, he's a king that'll die for his people, Lord, that he doesn't expect his people to die for him. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that you don't let us suffer, Lord, that you give us grace and mercy to bear for what we're going through, Lord. And Father, I know some of us in here, Lord, are poor, Lord. Some of us could, could use some money, Lord. Some of us in here can barely pay our bills, Lord God, but you love us. And one day, Lord God, we're going to be sitting as sons and daughters of, of a king. And we'll get to rule the world with you, Lord. And I thank you, Father. I know the devil's running this world right now, Lord. That's why it's such a mess, but I can't wait for you to come back and straighten it out, Lord. We'd like for it to happen tonight. We'd like for it to happen right now, Lord. Just come on back. We're waiting for you. But Lord, I know you're long-suffering, Lord. I know you want more people to come into your kingdom. And that's what we're here about, Lord God, is trying to get these people into your kingdom, Lord God, if they're not here yet. Lord, I pray, Father, that they'll make a decision for you this morning, Lord. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Let's have an invitation, brother. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the Internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God.
So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.